Welcome to the Empathetic Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Grant Johnson from Averse. Grant, it's when I said you on. It's great to be on, Brad. Absolutely. So tell me a bit about your role, your company, and what you're up to. Well, I'm the chief marketing officer for Imburse. I also like to think of myself as the chief growth orchestrator. If you think about the global role of marketing that I oversee, it's brands, it's communications, it's analyst relations, it's public relations, channel marketing, demand generation, digital, web, strategic planning, M&A, product marketing, employee engagement, and ultimately culture. And it seems that marketing really is at the intersection of all the functions and orchestrates a lot of things that help the company operate effectively. And my goal is to maximize marketing's contribution to organizational success. And Imburse is an interesting company. We're the number one choice for spend optimization. We're in a category that's often called spend management. We, we take care of indirect spend for companies. Travel and expense is one big category invoices, uh, often called AP automation, and uh, corporate cards, uh, really payments. So you can pay vendors, you can pay for services, you can pay for SaaS subscriptions, and it can all be done with the Imburse uh, spend optimization platform. I love that. One of the things we've talked about is this idea of being a CMO 3.0. So what does it mean to be a CMO 3.0? And tell me about your thoughts on that. It really originated when I was first a CMO about 15 years ago and was talking with peers and they said it used to be, this is pre all things digital and inbound marketing that, you know, you could come up through brand, you could come up through product marketing, come up through demand or one of those avenues in particular, but it started shifting to 2.0 and, you know, now with web 3.0, I figured it might as well be CMO 3.0. And to me, it's meaning you're a full stack or a full brain. I like full brain marketing. The reason I say that is a lot of the reasons that people go into marketing is because it's dynamic, especially tech marketing. It's always changing. You're always challenged. And it works on your creative side, your right brain, and really critical thinking, your left brain, your analytics, your ability to crunch the numbers, if you will. I love that balance. Some days I'm in a conceptual mode. Some days I'm just cranking through a spreadsheet, right? And so I think you've got to have that skill. You've got to love both aspects. If you're a pure brand person, certain maybe B2C, you could be the leader. It'd be hard to be a, a leader of a B2B brand if you didn't have the technical and demand gen chops. And the other thing, what I like about CMO 3.0 is that you have to have a game plan, not just for your first 100 days or your first year, but you really have to have an annual renewal so that that was reading uh, Nick Meta, the CEO of Gainsight, who I follow, uh, we actually use their software, Gainsight. And he said, fire yourself, CEO. He's got, he got a lot of views for that. And what he meant by it, I agree with it. It's, if you're a C-level executive, just, you know, what got you here won't get you there. So what else do you need to learn and do? And I've always like, okay, where else do I need to dive deep into data analytics, intent, ABM, you name it. I think that's what you need to be a CMO. And then the other thing is, you really have to think about how to motivate the entire team that's preparing, aligning, engaging, envisioning, transforming, communicating, performing, and then ultimately adjusting to see what works best. It just takes all those characteristics and just sort of a relentless pursuit of perfection. 
So I know you mentioned a bit of this. Obviously, there's so much to do right now as a CMO, and especially as we head into an uncertain economy and all this stuff. What are some of these skills like, and I know you just mentioned a lot of them, but just to kind of double highlight it, what are some of these skills that currently a CMO 3.0 might leverage the most when it comes to heading into this next year? Well, it's a great question, Brad. I think first and foremost, you want to have a high degree of adaptability yourself, your team, your approach. Others call that agility so that you can pivot to what's going to work best in more challenging times. During COVID, it was easy to like, okay, we can't do physical events. We'll cut that budget, right? That was like a no-brainer decision. took me two minutes. Now it's like, you have to really look at where are you going to get your revenue? So we're doing a comprehensive analysis. We call it a, a, a TAM analysis, targeted a total addressable market, TAM. Where are we winning? What segments, what sizes, what types of opportunities? And try to double down where we're winning. Put dollars in the segments, the programs, the tactics that work the best. The other thing is, I think there's a lot of talk, if you follow the, some of the folks that I do, of like Jeffrey Moore, he's one of the preeminent thinkers on technology and marketing, he wrote Cross of the Chasm, that you want to lean in during economic uh, challenges. This is the time where you can take share. But you've got to have a risk orientation, and obviously you have to have an ROI. You just can't say, hey, let's go spend money. What's going to be the pipeline? What's going to be the revenue? I think also, uh, because you can't do everything, you have to have what I call uh, ruthless prioritization and unrelenting focus on the things that matter most, right? There was I went to one company where I diagnosed marketing was a thousand points of light. It was like way too diffuse. There were activities were everywhere but results were almost nowhere to be found, right? And then probably last but not least, I was part of CMO uh, Club Peer Advisory Board that Salesforce pulled together about a year ago. And, and we worked on playbook. And so you got to think about your playbook. How are you going to cut above the noise? How can you get your team to be effective or more effective? And how can you drive for results and accountability? The market will turn Purse strings will get a little looser, especially if you're reaching your growth ambitions. Uh, and you want to prove that, hey, you put a dollar in, you get two or three or four out, and you've got the ROI. And so that's the things you need to do to navigate these challenging economic times. Absolutely. And I think as you're thinking about your budget and where to best utilize your resources, do you think in times like this, uh, results matter most? Or is it efficiency for results? Like, getting the most results, maybe using the least amount of resources. How do you balance that? Because I think in times before, it's just like, maybe purse strings were looser. Let's try a bunch of things. Let's drive results. How important do you think absolute efficiency is right now? Yeah, so it's another really good uh, question to, to ponder because um, you can optimize anything, but at some point you have diminishing returns on efficiency, right? I will tell you that one of the, the most efficient uses of tactics is our webinars because they don't cost anything. You put on the web, you schedule it, you do it on demand, but they're not as effective as some of the paid search programs or the crowdsource where, you know, if you go to G2 and Captair and Burst shows up at the top, right? And so I still would lean more towards effectiveness. You want to always be improving. What's going to be most predictable to driving pipeline, pipeline that progresses to closed one business. Install-based marketing, I started this over three years ago. We, we brought together seven companies to form a burst. 
and we had uh, 14,000 customers. We have more than 18,000 now, so we've added a lot of new customers. But we've also expanded our product portfolio, our various solutions to help provide more value to our customers. And so we have a very sophisticated uh, process with the uh, folks in the customer marketing team working together with customer success and sales where we understand where's the customer in their journey? What additional problems can we help them tackle? And we call it the spin optimization model. Like, do they, do they want to get more automated? Do they want to become ultimately optimized? And by partnering with our customers and adding value to their business equation that they're trying to solve, that helps us grow our share of wall, helps us make those customers both more loyal as well as even more uh, vocal advocates for the value that we provide them as their spend optimization uh, provider. So how do you uh, shape and refine the category in your space? I think one of the things we were, we were talking about is this idea of category creation, understanding the landscape, refining it. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, there's a, there's some traditional approaches to category participation and creation. And, and a lot of times you can look to one of the leading analyst firms, Gartner, Forrester, IDC, Ventana, Arden, whatever. And they'll have defined, you're in this space, you're in that space. And, and one of the problems with that is it can be very limiting. And so I like to think more about category expansion, some call it category creation. Um, and in our case, we really need to understand our competitive strengths and areas for improvement uh, relative to others who compete for the same type of business. And so you have to understand the landscape and you also have to understand the customers and why they buy. Where's the value they're seeing for us? What we, we call it our pillars for Imburse that we innovate faster, we listen to our customers and serve them uh, in, in a more caring manner. Um, and so in, in, in looking at the category, I first said, okay, there's spend management, we'll be modern spend management. So we'll sort of kind of deposition. There's a coal of the uncoal. I did that play initially. And then as I started getting some better customer understanding, looking at the analytics, why customers are choosing us, understanding the, the win-loss percentages and reasons why, I found that, especially with COVID and people managing remote work and this new hybrid environment, that it's a CFO that we by and large sell into our spend optimization suite that they need more visibility, need more control. They need to know where, when spend's happening, where spend's happening, how do they control it? And so, you know, that sort of light bulb went off. I said, let's not call it spend management. We actually had the spend management. Let's call it spend optimization because anybody can manage spend, but how do you optimize spend? And the word optimization just means you're continually trying to be more optimized, right? You don't ever arrive. And I think that a lot of our customers really resonate with that, right? Because we just had a customer conference and this was great. Um, during COVID, nobody could meet in person. So we've been doing these regional conferences in, in the New York, Chicago, London, and now San Diego here in California, where I live, had over 100 customers, and they were all very enthused. They know the kind of the tough environment, but how can they add more value to their business, help control costs, provide visibility, speed payments, so they can improve cash flow. And by offering that real optimization opportunity, we have become more of a valued business partner to our customers. Absolutely. What role does data analytics play in this as you're thinking about all this stuff? Well, let me first say, Brad, that I love data. I like clean data. I like accurate data. But more than anything else, you've got to have information to make better decisions faster. 
And so we have lots of data points. Like I have a whole brand tracker that brings in awareness, uh, sentiment, advocacy through a variety of electronic measures. But, you know, we also have net promoter score that we track. The number of customers who join, we have almost a thousand of our customers who are part of the Imburst community. And so we can just ask, pose some questions. We get quick insight. Hey, are you using this feature? We use Pendo within our software application. So we can say, hey, was that an easy to do that expense report? Oh, I did it in three clicks. Could you make it two clicks? Oh, great. I can submit an expense report in two clicks. How do you make it one click, right? So I really like to have, as well as my peers in the C-suite, is the metrics of the business. It gives us insight and the, the data that lets us know how we're performing. And for us, the data includes what's the spend volume. We're sort of a microcosm to the economy's return. We could start seeing in, in travel and expense return, the number of expense reports submitted, invoice processed, cards used. Those data analytics help us see the curve. We've gotten some good press out of being able to, we've got a monthly column in the, in the company dime that where we say, hey, here's where the status of uh, uh, travel and expense uh, monitor. Here, here's where it is in the index uh, showing now. So I think in summary, data analytics are critical to better planning, uh, execution, and performance. Absolutely. As we think about channels right now, there's many different channels and things to do activities. Which are you seeing best support your overall strategy? Well, by definition, we have a multi-channel approach. And the reason I say that, when I got here three years ago, we probably only had four what I would call regular contributors to pipeline lead sources, right? That you could attribute that they would turn a lead into an opportunity, into a win. And we probably have about a dozen now. And so if one's not working, the other might be working better. So certainly traditional things like PPC and SEO and so forth and social media, but also... Events, we're finding now that people are returning to events, whether it's hybrid or in-person, those are great, both creators of new pipeline and accelerators of existing pipeline to help close more deals. Also, uh, as I mentioned, some of the, the syndication sources or crowdsourcing and uh, even some paper. I, I like What I like about the cost per lead or paper, pay for performance investments is if you can get an insight, it's the demographics of the audience and if it matches up with your ICP, your ideal customer profile and your and your particular personas that you're pursuing, then you say, all right, it looks like you've got a universe of likely buyers and they're showing intent around our solutions. Then if you can engage them and bring them to a landing page and they register with us and they want to engage with us, then I'll pay you $50 a lead or $100 a lead. So some of those that work well, what I don't think works well is just buying lists. Listen, never up to date. Even if you're paying 50 cents, it's probably worth less what you're paying for a name. You really want to get intent, somebody who is in the market, showing some interest in your solution. And so I sort of gravitate to those that have a little more intelligence within the data as much as the vehicle itself. Yeah. And, and by that, do you mean like third-party companies that go out and find leads and those that you know are potentially a little bit qualified? Well, yeah, and I and, and there's there's a whole and again, I don't want to cast aspersions on, but I probably have deleted in my three years nine hundred and twenty-seven emails. Somebody says I've got a list of your competitors' customers. Well, if they're dissatisfied with my competitor, I don't need to buy the list. They're going to find me through P2, Captera, inbound marketing, social media, 
customer testimonials, analyst relations, PR. So I, I, that list is not ever worth purchasing, right? Now, for somebody, it might be. It depends on maybe they don't have a sophisticated demand gen structure. But yeah, that's what I mean by it. Absolutely. That kind of gets into our next topic here. And I think a lot of marketers out there are under a lot of pressure right now to deliver pipeline and to do it in the next quarter, do it for the most efficient cost possible and all that. As you think about creating pipeline, where do you think it's best to, to spend our resources? Where are we going to spend a dollar and get three back? Um, is it an inbound? Is it outbound? Is it content? Is there any particular ranking that you would put behind that? Yeah, my answer is probably a, a little bit more complex than that. I think I don't want to be overly simplistic. There certainly we've seen consistently the work we put into search engine optimization, uh, into uh, content creation, so we resonate with our audiences, into intent-based programs, whether it's pay-per-click or we use demand-based. Those are all really good. They're almost they're more they're more digital than anything else, and uh, they're more inbound. But outbound, we've had success with some outbound tactics, uh, in-person events, as I just said. But the, the more important thing is to design a demand generation system. So you have to have the MarTech stack. You've got to have, like, for example, if somebody moves from one stage to the next stage within our uh, overall, what we call our demand waterfall, we can have a, uh, an outbound sequence triggered. Uh, either through uh, sales loft for the, the big BDRs, business development reps, or through Marketo that says, hey, we saw you did this, or just like on the website, you, people download this. We've all seen it with Amazon. B2C bleeds into B2B these days. And how about that? And so um, you've got to have the, the integrated MarTech stack, the integrated programs, the connective tissue between BDR sales and marketing so we can collectively see this is a prospect progressing. We, we use a scoring. If you get to 100, you're what's called a marketing qualified account, MQA. And uh, those are great because we know that they're in the market now and it's a matter of engaging and proving our value. Um, so I think you have to have the tactics, more inbound, more digital, better. Uh, the systems, the uh, the connected, uh, I like to call flying formation or uh, between sales, BDR marketing. So there's no dropped batons in the handoffs. And if you've got all that work and obviously good data analytics reporting and insights, then you know what dials to spend. I, I had a CFO once said, can you instrument the business? And initially I thought it was crazy. Then I realized he was right. Like the more I can instrument the business, the more I can just turn a dial. And that's kind of when we're in that phase. Now we're trying to instrument the business to drive more predictable contribution to revenue growth. Absolutely. So last question as we wrap up here, what are the big bets that you're making for the next year? So the first big bet is I came up with this idea. I haven't brought it to life yet is we have a very compelling value proposition. We add a lot of business value to our challenges, but you know, as a fairly new brand, I won't mention our number one competitor, but everybody's heard of them. Burst is a top of mind awareness, aided awareness. We do well, people in our market know us. So I have this idea about what CFO can say no. I don't want to, I, I want every salesperson to come back to me and say, I got the meeting, right? They understand what we do. It's so compelling. We're going to save their, save them money. We're going to provide visibility, insight, control, and, and better uh, profitability. And so that's, that's really the, 
the big bet is is a campaign that brings that to life. I did a last year did a campaign called Embrace It. Don't just expense it, embrace it. We had like social media took off. When somebody goes live, they just embraced it. So it's coming in grain. It's it's not quite all a like Google or Venmo, but you know, there's a better way to embrace it. So so this other idea is what CFO can say no to embrace. That's that's the big idea. And then um, probably the other big bet, and it's always been a bet I make, and sometimes you'll overlook this, is just empower and unleash your team, right? You've got to up and down. I've, my team's uh, over 50, and I've had teams of a few hundred, and you could have a team of five, but people have to be empowered to do their best work because you don't want to people, you know, have a fear and trepidation of making mistakes. Mistakes are okay. Just don't repeat them, right? Learn from them and then try. To so that's that's the big bet and hope it's the, the year of... Uh, more CFO meetings for us. Absolutely. Well, Grant, it's been amazing to have you on. Appreciate you sharing all your wisdom, insights, and knowledge here. Hey, my pleasure, Brad. Uh, good rest of the day and uh, really enjoyed speaking with you. Absolutely.